0: Today, Pastor Bruce is going to be continuing in his sermon series on the life of Abraham. Uh, But today, we'll be looking at his nephew Lot uh, in our reading. And like last week, this week's going to be pretty hard as Pastor Bruce has to go over what Sodom does to you. So please grab your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Today's reading is going to be 30 through 38. Um, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab a pew Bible from in front of you. Uh, Today's reading will be on page 17. So again, follow along with me as I read, starting in Genesis 19, verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. There is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve our offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Called and called his name ben- Benami. He is the father of the Anamites to this day. Please bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another day that we can be in your house. Thank you for your word that shows us your character and provides us a guide in a world that is lost in sin. Lord, help us use your word and your church to keep us from leaning on our own understanding protect us from the wisdom of the world that only serves to lead us astray. Lord, give us wisdom and strength to hold fast to the truth and proclaim it to others in our life, both in word and in deed. Be with Pastor Bruce this morning as he imparts your wisdom and help us to hear and understand what you have for us to hear. All this I pray in your son's name. Amen. Thank you, Andy. Good morning. Welcome to LifeBridge. I invite you to
1: Keep your Bibles open here to Genesis 19, verses 30 through 38. And wow, what a text we have before us. No doubt, this is one of the most appalling, startling passages in all the Bible. For it simply tells the story of two tragic nights of drunken immorality. Lot, who has just been mercifully rescued from Sodom's destruction, we looked at that last Sunday, is now enticed by his own daughters to get drunk, after which his daughters then proceed to commit incest with their father, and they become pregnant by their father. Lot and his daughters, if you can imagine this, they they have just received a, a second chance from God when God spared them from Sodom's destruction. And now, with this second chance, they commit a very horrific sin on two consecutive nights in a very dark cave. Now, I have to admit, I was tempted to avoid this passage of Scripture here. Just as you might be tempted to avoid reading this passage of Scripture here. And so... We're all in the same boat. We're tempted to avoid this story here at the end of Lot's life because it is, well, it's so sinful. In fact, it's so wicked. There's no situation in which incest is considered a a pleasant topic of conversation. And so what happened here in this cave between Lot and his daughters is not a pleasant topic to preach on nor for you to listen to. When you think about this chapter here, Genesis chapter 19, there's no doubt it contains an awful lot of wickedness. And you know what? There's an awful lot of wickedness in this world in which we live. And so say what you want about God's word. And if you're here this morning, you're not even convinced of the Bible, that it is God's authoritative word for our lives. At least you have to admit that the Bible is certainly realistic. The Bible tells us the way it was in history. It also tells us the way people are still today. And it doesn't pull any punches about it, even when it is the people of God. Like Lot on two tragic nights of drunken immorality in a very dark cave. Now, you might be wondering, what is the purpose of this story? Why is it even recorded for us here in Scripture? Well, the purpose of this specific story is not merely to remind us of how sinful people are. All we have to do is open up our phones, read social media, watch the news, and we can figure that out. In fact, easier than that, all we have to do is get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and we can figure that out. The purpose of this story... Yes, on one hand, it is to remind us of the sinfulness of humanity. But more than that, it is to point us to God's abundant grace in which everyone here is in desperate need of. When you think about the book of Genesis, it is full of history, and especially the history of God's plan to redeem peoples from their sin. And so even this unpleasant story is meant to teach us, yes, about the tragedy of sin, but more importantly, about the beauty of God's grace. But in order to appreciate, to fully appreciate the beauty of God's grace, We have to take some time here this morning, and we have to unpack, we have to delve into the tragedy of sin. And that's what we need to see here in Lot's life today. And so notice with me, here's the big idea, if you will. Although God is mercifully, has rescued righteous Lot from Sodom's destruction, his life is a warning of what Sodom's sinfulness does to you. You see, there's a reason Lot's life is recorded in Scripture here. His life, it serves as a warning of what Sodom's wickedness and worldliness does to you. And so we are meant to read this story. We are meant to learn from this story. We're meant to learn from the tragedy of this life. So that we we here this morning, still today, we don't make the same mistakes ourselves. Listen, God here, right now, He is inviting you to peer into the tragedy of Lot's life here and to consider it, to learn from it, and then do something about it. Because even though Peter calls Lot righteous, listen, he is a symbolic picture of a believer who is, yes, saved, but as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.15, but only as through fire, or as when Pastor Chris preached in Genesis chapter 13, Lot is scarcely saved. And so, though Lot has eternity ahead of him, listen, he has nothing to look back on in his life. Nothing to look back on but wasted years filled with shame and regret. This is the tragedy of Lot's life. And it serves as a warning of what Sodom's sinfulness does to you. And so, here's the warning in a nutshell. Your surroundings will affect you and your family in ways you may not have ever imagined. It was that way with Lot and Sodom. And so even though, just think with me about this, even though the city of Sodom was destroyed by God, the spirit of Sodom was alive and well in the hearts of Lot and his daughters. We learned, we saw firsthand last Sunday, as we went through this first part of Genesis 19, that the destruction of Sodom was horrific, but sadly, the dark story of Sodom now continues in Lot's life. And so we must understand that the story of Lot's life, it did not end with his escape from Sodom. Listen, had that been the end of Lot's story, we might leave here with the wrong lesson. We might even come to the wrong conclusion. Hey, Lot teaches us that That God will rescue his children even when they make extremely bad choices. And you just live happily ever after. And we could come away with that false conclusion if it were not for this story here. So we are meant to see the holistic part of Lot's life here. To understand the lesson of Lot's life, we have to see how his life ended, what happened After Sodom's destruction, what happened after Lot flees to the city of Zoar. And this is where we clearly begin to see the devastating effects of what Sodom does to you. So notice it, what it does to Lot's life, and we'll make application as to what it can do to our lives. First of all, number one, Lot's life ended in fear and isolation in a dark cave. That much is obvious. Earlier, Lot shamefully lingered in the city of Sodom because the grip of Sodom had over his heart, and now the sinful effects of the city remain in his heart even after its destruction. And so we read here in verse 30, Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And so what we learn here from verse 30 is once again, fear is now the primary motivation behind Lot's decision-making, behind his actions. Fear that disaster would overtake him led to flee to the city of Zoar, verses 19 through 20. And now fear is motivating him again. Fear leads him to leave Zoar and to flee to the hills to now live in a cave with his two daughters. As one commentator put it this way, when a man is out of the will of God, he is haunted by the monsters of his own imagination. So think with me how irrational Lot's fear is at this point in his life. Listen, the judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah is over, and the Lord mercifully spared Lot from that destruction and even granted him refuge, safety, in this little city of Zoar. So Lot has nothing to fear. And yet fear is what's driving him to flee Zoar and to flee to the hills in search of safety. Now why? Why would Lot be so afraid here? Why would he... Be afraid to stay in Zoar. Now, perhaps he's fearful of the people of Zoar. We don't know. Even he's afraid that God was going to destroy Zoar, just like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Whatever it is, Lot's fear is ultimately the consequences of his lifelong standing distrust of the Lord. Lot's circumstances right here should have prompted him to turn to the Lord in faith, not fear. However, when you begin to examine his whole life, and you go all the way back to the beginning, when Lot tagged along with Abraham, when God called Abraham to leave the city of Ur and go to the land of Canaan, Lot has never really trusted God with everything in his life. Ever since the beginning. And now he struggles to trust God in this little city of Zoar, and he ends up living in a cave. Fearful and isolated. It's intriguing as well that Lot did not return to who? He didn't return to Abraham, his uncle where surely he would have been welcomed by Abraham. And perhaps this was due to his own shame, or maybe even due to his own pride. And so fear, whether it was real or imaginary, listen, it can cloud one's judgment. It was certainly clouding Lot's judgment. And so whatever the reason, instead of now living in community with Abraham, Lot is living in fear, in isolation, in a dark cave with his daughters. And we should note that caves were often used, primarily used as what? Anybody know? As graves. The resting place of the dead. And so the symbolism here, don't miss it. Here's Lot living a death-like existence in a dark cave, and he is sinking into deeper isolation, deeper depression, and deeper corruption. What a downfall from the, quote, good life in Sodom. Lot, he goes from a city dweller to a cave dweller, and it should cause us to just stop and ask, how did that happen? What brought about Lot's downfall? They're called storm chasers. Perhaps you've heard of the term, reports of a terrifying tornado will empty a Midwestern town cause people to seek refuge in a basement or storm cellar, but these weather maniacs will drive at reckless speeds in pursuit of the tornado. And it seems the destructive forces of the tornado draws them even closer and closer to the tornado. They must see the funnel. They must study the funnel, the video of the funnel. Why? Because we ultimately, we chase what we love. And that is Lot's life in a nutshell, Lot continually, notice this in your notes, chased the good life in Sodom over the, quote, blessed life in God's promises. Remember Lot's choice to move away from Abraham back in Genesis 13. Coming out of Egypt, Abraham and Lot were blessed by God. In fact, they were so blessed, they became so wealthy that the land of Canaan could not support all their flocks, all their herds and servants in the same place. And so Abraham graciously let Lot choose where to live. And what does Lot do from that point? At that moment, Lot chose to ignore the blessed life in God's promises in Abraham. And instead, he chased what he thought was the good life near Sodom. That was the beginning of Lot's downfall. Because after looking on Sodom, where do we find him? He swiftly went from living near Sodom to living in Sodom. Genesis 14, 12. And as a result of that, he even had to be rescued by Abraham when a foreign army carried off the inhabitants of Sodom. And this would have been the perfect time to decide not to go back to Sodom. This should have been... Lot's clue that it was time to move out of that wicked city. And at the same time, let me just clarify here, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with living in a sinful city like Sodom. Otherwise, we would have no place to live. For all the cities of the world are sinful. And so, listen, God, God may call us to live in cities like Sodom. But understand, as Christ followers, he also calls us to, to be holy and to live as children of light. Sodom did neither of those. I mean, Lot did neither of those things. Abraham, other on the other hand, he learned a very important lesson coming out of Egypt, that he had to choose between loving God and loving this world. And Abraham chose God. Not perfectly. In fact, next Sunday, we're going to see that just as well, not just as, Lot felt miserably here. Abraham, right after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, immediately afterwards as well, he falters us too. So in some ways, Abraham's not any better than Lot. But Abraham did make choices along the way that proved out his own righteousness and his following of the Lord. Abraham chose God, but Lot did not want to choose between God and the world. He somehow thought he wanted to have God plus the world. Lot thought he could have this this blessed life with God while still chasing the good life in Sodom and how wrong he was. Lot's downfall didn't happen overnight. What we're reading here is about two tragic nights, but they didn't happen overnight. Lot's downfall was, was rather gradual. In fact, it was so gradual, he's not even aware that he had fallen. Here in chapter 19, Lot is no longer just living in Sodom. At verse 1, we now see him. He is sitting in the gate of Sodom, which is the place where community decisions were made for a city in that culture. And so think about this. Lot is now immersed in the city. He has gained a position of authority in the city, but he absolutely had no moral influence on the city. He did not win anyone to the Lord. His witness for God was was non-existent. Lot, Lot traded in his tent outside the city for a house inside the city. His daughters are now engaged to be married to men of the city. But his motives were tainted by the love of the world. And so no wonder when he was warned of the coming destruction... Lot chose to do what? He lingered there still in Sodom. His heart was in Sodom. And tragically, Sodom was in his heart, so much so that he begged God, allow me to flee just to this little city of Zoar, which was near Sodom. Lot's downfall is marked, we might say it this way, by one compromise after another. Lot's idol was, was really nothing more than comfort, personal comfort and wealth. And so he chose continually all through his life the good life, or I should say the so-called good life in Sodom, over the blessed life in God's promises. And in spite of all of those choices, he ends up where? He ends up with a miserable life in a dark cave, and let me tell you, he paid a very steep price getting there. You look back over Lot's life, and you you can actually begin to tally his losses. When Lot came out of Egypt, he was wealthy, was he not? Now he's lost everything. Everything he owned was destroyed in Sodom. He also lost his moral discernment so much so he actually offered his daughters to the men of Sodom. We saw that last Sunday. He has no moral discernment here. He lost his credibility at a witness when he goes to his sons-in-law and warns them of the coming destruction. They just laugh at him. He has no credibility as a witness. He lost his peace in heart. And so that's why Peter says of him in 2 Peter 2, 7 and 8, that Lot was greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. So Lot has no peace in his heart while he's living in Sodom. And ultimately, he lost his family. He surrendered his family to Sodom's influence. Lot's wife left her heart in Sodom, and she became a pillar of salt. Sodom left its ethics in Lot's daughters, and they committed incest with their father. And in the end, Lot's compromises with Sodom left him in ruins, in shambles, in misery, in a very dark cave. Now, what do we take away from that? What do we learn from Lot's downfall from Canaan to Sodom into a cave? Well, here's the lesson to learn God's faithfulness to the righteous, and we saw last Sunday, God is always faithful to the righteous. And yet, God's faithfulness to the righteous does not eliminate the painful consequences of compromise from our lives. Listen, the consequences of sin is a reality in our world that cannot be eliminated. The law of sowing and reaping is a fixed law of God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And so Lot's life is an example of the quote, I'm sure some of you have heard of this quote. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Lot is an example of that. In fact, one pastor and author, he put it this way. The greatest thing to fear in sinning against God is not what we may come immediately from that sin. But as that may be, bad as that may be, the greatest thing to fear by far is that by choosing to let that sin into your life, making choices on its behalf, you have chosen a course of life that may in time carry you far from God and far from righteousness so far that you won't even recognize yourself. That's Lot. That's what happened to him. He compromised with Sodom over and over again. And he ended up living in a dark cave, far from God and far from righteousness. Oh, that we would take heed. Let all of us here, let us take heed to the warning here of Lot's life. Lot is warning us of what Sodom does to you. Lot and his daughters were infected with Sodom's corruption. And this is where we see now the shocking story of how the culture of Sodom affected Lot's daughters in the cave. Notice number two, Lot's life ended in drunken immorality with his daughters. You see, fear not only motivated Lot, but fear is now what motivates Lot's daughters. And so neither Lot nor his daughters, this is interesting, feared the Lord. In spite of what they had just witnessed in regard to God's judgment on Sodom. Can you imagine witnessing Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction and then having no fear of God? And letting that impact your life, letting that impact your decision-making in life. Notice the daughter's distorted perception in verses 31. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of all the earth. So the oldest daughter here is living by fear. She is walking by sight. She thinks that all the men In the world are now gone. So, how are we going to have children? How are we going to carry on our father's line? And now, notice the daughter's perverted plan in verse 32 Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. In a twist of irony, Earlier in Sodom, Lot did the unthinkable with his daughters. If you remember from last Sunday, he actually offered them, that is his daughters, to the men of Sodom, for the men of Sodom to have sex with his daughters as they please. And now the daughters do the unthinkable with their father in a cave. They get him drunk and they have sex with him. And notice the daughters, drunken immorality, Look at it again with me. Read it with me in verses 33 through 35. So they made their father drink wine that night. And their firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve offspring from my father. And that's exactly what they did, we're told. Verse 35 says, so they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. So what should we make of that? What should we make of the daughters, two tragic nights of drunken immorality? Well, let me point out or at least suggest to you an observation here. Notice this in your notes. Their perception, that is the daughter's perception of dying childless, is distorted. And their plan of committing incest is perverted. So first of all, notice this. Lot's daughters, they create this this false crisis. They create this worst-case scenario. There aren't any men on earth that we can marry. That's not true. That is a distorted perception of reality. Do they they really believe that there is nobody left on earth, that they are the last people on earth? It seems the oldest daughter is so driven by her fear of dying childless that she's now willing to exaggerate the effects of Sodom's destruction on the whole earth. And yes, we we know, we just saw it last Sunday. There's no doubt God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and all the surrounding cities, the whole valley there. But he did not destroy all the earth. Lot and his daughters would have known that based on what other catastrophic event that took place in the world. The flood. And what did God promise at the flood and reminded them with a rainbow in the sky that he would never do again? Destroy all the world. Destroy all of humanity. And so their perception of reality, it is distorted here. Their perception even omits any consideration of God. Listen, these daughters had just come from God's protection in Zohar. And now they don't even factor God into their equation. And so Lot's daughters, they are pushing the panic button in their life here. And then they try to add this very noble reason to justify their perverted plan of incest. We need to preserve our family line. Now, primarily, Lot's older daughter desires a child to preserve the offspring from her father. So we should recognize that that she's actually seeking a, a good outcome here. But she's using this good outcome, this noble desire to rationalize Sin and specifically the sin of incest. You see, these daughters know. Oh, do they know that incest with their father is morally corrupt? But tragically, lost daughters—they have now embraced the sexual ethics of Sodom. They now share the warped morality of the city of Sodom from which they had just escaped. The fact that they had to even get their father drunk underscores the reality, the fact that they know what they are doing is wrong. Now let me just say, in case some of you are wondering, there's nothing sinful in and of itself about drinking a little wine. But I would point out that if Lot had not allowed himself to get drunk, he probably, I will give Lot the benefit of the doubt here, he would not have allowed his daughters to commit incest with him. And so here we see a connection between drunkenness and sexual immorality. Nothing's changed in the history of humanity. So we need to understand something here. Lot was drunk, but he was also responsible for what happened on those two tragic nights in the cave. As one commentator says, the words that describe about Lot, he did not know do not affirm that he was in an unconscious state. They merely mean that in his intoxicated state, though not entirely unconscious, yet he lay with his daughters without clearly knowing what he was doing. In other words, Lot did not recall what he had done, but he was guilty nonetheless. It's even true in our laws here today. Listen, drunkenness does not absolve you from responsibility. Even our own laws will hold you accountable. And so, drunkenness was no excuse here for Lot. In fact, his drunkenness simply facilitated the working out of his own sinfulness in his own heart. So, what lesson is there to take away? from these two tragic nights of drunken immorality, I would suggest this lesson, and that is this. Dire circumstances don't justify evil actions. And good intentions don't sanctify sinful decisions. And that is the culture in which we live today. Now, we don't know, or we do not know, how long Lot and his daughters lived in their cave. We are not told that. We know it was enough time, though, for the daughters to give up their hope of ever marrying and having children. And so we ought to acknowledge here that their circumstances are dire. Would you not agree with me? These are some of the most dire circumstances that one can be in and face in life. These circumstances are dire. And Lot's Lots of daughters, they wanted children who could carry on the family name. But the problem is they were willing to do whatever it took to achieve that goal. In other words, it's no different than the philosophy today. The end justifies the means. But dire circumstances don't justify evil actions. And good intentions, no matter how good they are, don't sanctify our sinful decisions in life. And it's interesting, here in this whole cave, God, God is nowhere to be found in this cave by these two, by Lot or his daughters. God, God is just blatantly omitted by Lot and his two daughters in this cave. We see no thought here given to prayer to God. We see no thought of them waiting on God to care for them. And so it never occurred to them that God had just saved them from destruction and he would therefore protect them from harm and he would provide for their needs. And so instead of asking, God, what should we do? What, what is your will for our lives in this circumstance? In this, guide us and lead us. Instead of doing that, Lot's daughters, they, just, they revert back to Sodom and its culture, and they just imagine, well, how would Sodom handle this? How, how would our neighbors in Sodom handle this problem? How would other people in our situation handle the problem? And so they embrace the sexual ethics of Sodom. They seized the darkness of the night, and they engaged in drunken immorality with their father in hopes of having children. And so Lot, as a father, he could take his daughters out of Sodom, but he could not take Sodom out of his daughters. It's evident that Lot's life choices have, I might even say, promoted his daughter's perverted view of sex. And so do not, please, please, do not think for a moment that, that your family somehow, some way is immune to the effects of your choices. It's not. In fact, in my opinion here, it is rather disturbing that neither daughter, the older nor the younger, saw herself crossing a moral boundary by sleeping with her father. They wanted to have children. They needed a man to get them pregnant, and their father was the only man available. So why not? They clearly didn't see him as a father to be honored or respected. But dire circumstances never, never, never justify evil actions, and good intentions never, never, never never sanctify sinful decisions. So again, let us take heed here to what Sodom does to you. It will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Which brings us to number three. Lot's life ended in sowing seeds of ungodliness in his descendants. This is where we see the rebirth of Sodom. In a cave. Sodom was alive and well in Lot's daughters, and he was the father of it all. A few weeks later, the physical signs were clear. According to verse 36, thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. And nine months later, we Learn in verses 37 through 38, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Even the naming of the boys here shows the daughter's brazen attitude. The names that the daughters gave their sons immortalized Lot's paternity of these two children. The name Moab means from my father. The name Benami means son of my people. And so notice here the, the repercussions of sin in Lot's descendants. On two dark nights, two godless nations are born the Moabites and the Ammonites. These two godless nations would appear and then a few centuries later would disappear from the pages of scripture and history. But during their existence, they were the bitter, bitter enemies of Abraham's descendants. In fact, you begin to read through Genesis and especially into Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and their much corruption and opposition came from the Moabites and the Ammonites. Listen, they constantly opposed Israel, Abraham's descendants. They, they engaged in warfare against them. They hated the descendants of Abraham, the Israelites. Years later, they would refuse to allow Israel to even pass through their land in route. To the Promised Land. And eventually they would corrupt Israel through sexual immorality and idolatry after they were established in the Promised Land. And so these two nations were, were cursed by God because they rejected God. The Moabites and Ammonites, they epitomized everything that Israel was supposed to flee from, idolatry and immorality. In fact, one commentator writes, the Moabites provided the, the worst carnal seduction in the history of Israel, that of Bel-Peor, Numbers 25. And the Ammonites provided the cruelest religious perversion in the history of Israel, that of Moloch." Leviticus 18.21. And so these two nations, understand this, they were the source of corruption among the Israelites as well as the source of opposition against the Israelites. And all of this wickedness came through the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so much evil has flowed out of this dark cave when the spirit of Sodom was reborn with Lot and his two daughters. So again, what do we learn from this? What what do we take away from this for our own lives here today? Well, here is one last lesson from the cave. And that is this. New opportunities don't purify corrupt hearts. Proving, once again, that what we we here this morning need most is God to give us new hearts. Why? Why? Because as we have seen, you can take Lot and his daughters out of Sodom, but it is much harder to take Sodom out of them. And so living in a cave hardly led to renewed righteousness in their own lives. It didn't. Why? Because new places in life, new opportunities in life don't purify corrupt hearts. You can change your circumstances. You can move to a different city. You can change your jobs. You can change everything and anything about you. But if your heart is corrupt, your heart is corrupt. You see, even though Sodom is destroyed, the spirit of Sodom is now reborn in a cave, proving that the, the problem of humanity the problem we have the problem all people have is ultimately the problem of the heart Lydia, listen listen cities in and of themselves are not evil it's the inhabitants of the cities that are evil And unless the heart is radically changed, we can destroy every city in the world, but the sin of humanity would still be reborn in a cave or in the hills or in a field. It doesn't matter where. And so what Lot here and his daughters are showing us is that, oh, do we desperately need God to give us new hearts with the capacity and desire to love Him and obey His commands. And you know what? This is the good news. God has promised to do exactly that. God has promised to give you a new heart. He has promised to put His Spirit within you, forgiving you of all of your sins, and adopting you into His family, and changing your course of life, and giving you desires that you could never fabricate on your own that only come from God and His Spirit. That's what God does for us. That's why we need the grace of God. After this story's conclusion, it's interesting that we see nor hear anything more of Lot in the Old Testament. This is the last time you read about him in the Old Testament. He is of no further importance to God's Story of salvation. So we don't know his immediate reaction to his daughter's sin. We don't know how he regarded the births of their sons. I mean, did Lot confess his sinfulness, his part in this? Did he repent of his sin? We We don't know. Did he even acknowledge his wasted life? Did he have any regrets and sorrow about it? And the answer is we simply don't know. We don't know how he died. We don't know where he died. We don't even know when he died. His life simply ends on the pages of Scripture here with this tragic night, this story. And so what a vivid warning of what Sodom does to you. And while the text here does not tell us what happened to Lot, Listen, the text here, this story, it certainly expects us to consider his life. And more importantly, it expects us to consider the life of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, he is the only answer to the wickedness of Lot and his daughters in a cave. And he is the only answer to the wickedness in our own hearts as well. And so I would propose to you that where wickedness abounded in a cave, this story reminds us that God's grace abounds still more, all the more, for God would appoint And this is so interesting. Oh, this is beautiful. God would appoint a Moabite woman named Ruth to become the grandmother of King David and a crucial, crucial link in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 1. And so what you have here are two great themes coming out of this story. You have the judgment of God against sin and you have the overruling grace of God in our lives. So walk out of here knowing in embracing God's abundant grace. Listen, God delights to turn our sin into righteousness and the judgment that we deserve into an occasion of his grace. And he did that, did that, did that, if I can say it right, in the life of Ruth. And you know what? He will do that for you and you in you. Jesus Christ is the Savior who is born from wickedness and most of all for wickedness. Our wickedness. Therefore, Paul writes in Romans 5 20 and 21. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. your heads bowed. And as we just ponder on this story for a moment, The central lesson of this story and the rest of Scripture is that God's grace wins over the thing you are most ashamed of in your life. And if you are willing to repent of your sin, if you are are willing to turn to the Lord in faith, listen, God will give you a new heart. So trust Him and follow Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for a a sobering warning from Lot's life of what Sodom does to you. May you speak to our hearts and would you show us where we have been making compromises and cultivating sins that drive us away from you. And we pray that you would bring us to our senses, just like you did the prodigal son in Luke 15, and that you would bring us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so help us to know that where sinner abounds, your grace abounds all the more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.